Well, this is uh, shaping up to be a pretty super week. Um, we've got uh, Super Sunday today. In a couple of days, we're going to have Super Tuesday. And uh, just so we don't discriminate against it, uh, I'm pretty sure Monday is not going to be too bad either. Uh, but we have a, a, a super week ahead of us. Super Bowl Sunday is today, that national holiday when we uh, celebrate the great game of football. And uh, I know if you're like me, a number of you will be watching the game this afternoon um, between the uh, Patriots and the Giants. How many here are Patriots fans? Many more than in the first service, but still not very many. How many here are Giants fans? Oh, boy. I tell you what, um, there's still going to be some good commercials tonight. So even though you're not, uh, you're not cheering for either of them, Tune in anyway, it'll be a great time. But uh, no, it's a, uh, it's, it's a spectacle. It's Super Sunday, that's today. Um, and in a couple of days is going to be Super Tuesday. And uh, that is the name that uh, the media and the political parties have given to this uh, incredible occurrence that's going to happen here in a couple of days when uh, roughly half the states are going to go to the polls or to caucuses to determine uh, who will be the representatives from a couple of the major political parties in the presidential race? And uh, you know, if, if you are, uh, if you have, have, have turned on the internet lately, or you have turned on the television lately, or you have listened to the radio lately, or you have read a newspaper lately, uh, no doubt you have been inundated with information regarding Super Tuesday. It's a big event. It's a big event within our society. It's a big event within uh, our, our country as people will go to the polls and begin the process of selecting uh, the next president of the United States. And, and you know, um, for whatever reason this year, that has really caught my attention. I've really uh, been, been uh, I don't know what the right word is, but interested, it is, for lack of a better one, interested in the election this year. Um, I, I, not that I have a disinterest in politics, but this year I've paid more attention than, than some. And maybe you're like that. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that happens when you talk about politics is that, uh, you know, you can begin to have some interesting moments. Things that you're interested in, things that you read about, you tend to talk about. But when you begin to talk about the election or politics, sometimes you can have some uncomfortable moments. Uh, you know, recently, Kimberly and I had a, had a friend over, and we began to talk, and we began to talk about some of the candidates, and I know I just felt my blood pressure begin to rise. We weren't arguing, but for whatever reason, I thought, wow, this is getting uh, a, little, a little tense, talking about this thing of politics. As a matter of fact, it's, it's kind of a taboo topic of conversation. Uh, also taboo, is, a lot of times, in a lot of circles, is to discuss religion. So as a pastor, thinking and talking about politics, i got a double whammy out there, you know. Uh, these are two areas, two taboo, TWO, to talk about. And so as, as I've been in this uh, dilemma, and maybe you've been in that dilemma as well, and I, I've, I've begun to wonder and think, what is God's perspective on this thing that we know as politics and government? What is God's perspective on Christian government. And I, I think it's important for us not just to run away. It gets a little uncomfortable. We need to run away from that topic. Um, I think that it's important for us to think about it and to think about it in a God-informed perspective. 
And, and thankfully, God has given us in his word uh, some things that he wants us to know and embrace as it pertains to government. And we're going to look at that over the next few weeks in a series called Too Taboo to Talk About. And, and over the next three weeks, we're going to look at this. This week, we're going to look at uh, uh, the issue of a Christian understanding of government. We're going to see that today. What is a Christian understanding of government? Uh, next week, we're going to look at civil disobedience in the Christian. In other words, is there ever a time that God would want us to oppose our government? How do we, vote, uh, how do we voice dissent when our government is taking stances that we don't like? What does that look like for a Christian? Uh, we'll look at that on February 10th. On, on February 17th, we're going to wrap up the series and talk about living the life of a resident alien. Uh, now, that is not going to be when I'm going to unveil my solution to or, or my, my ideas concerning illegal immigration. Uh, but that is a Sunday where we're going to talk about how God has created us and has given us a dual citizenship status. As a matter of fact, our primary citizenship is not on this planet. If you're a believer in Christ, your primary citizenship is in heaven. And a number of times in the New Testament, believers are called aliens in this land. And so we'll talk about what that is. And so I preview that because uh, I was talking to some people between services. When it comes to um, this issue of politics, and it's kind of a taboo topic, all of us hold various cards in our hand. And I'm going to ask you not to play all of those this week. We're going to cover some of those things in future weeks. But this week, we're going to focus and zero in on the idea of a Christian understanding of government. If we're going to walk with God in an election year, we need to have somewhat of an understanding of how God would want us to think concerning the government uh, and, and uh, the political system in which we live. And we're going to see that today from the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Romans 13, 1 to 7 is a, is a central passage in this topic of a Christian understanding of government. And uh, we're going to look at that uh, this morning. But one of the things that, that uh, I think is important for us to acknowledge just up front Right off the top, it's important for us to acknowledge that nowhere in the Bible does God present for us a constitution that we're to adopt. God doesn't pick one form of government and say, this is it. You need to run this playbook when it comes to government. Now, some might hear that and think, well, wait a minute, what about Israel? What about Israel in the Old Testament? That was a, a government that was set up with, as, as a theocracy. God was the leader. Um, their, their laws were defined in Exodus and in Deuteronomy and, and, and in Leviticus. Uh, what about that? And, 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 of course, the answer to that is that, that to think that that setup of government is what God wants for all people at all times is to, is, to, is to miss some of what God was doing through Israel. God had very specific purposes for Israel. At that time, all of the, the, the people who were... Um, God's people were, were, were brought into this nation of Israel. And God was the, 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 the leader of that whole nation with um, surrogates who were kings uh, at different times. But, but now, on, in the New Testament era, we live in a different time. No longer are God's people relegated to one nation, but God's people are scattered among all nations. And so there are Christians that live in the United States, there are Christians that live in Mexico, there are Christians that live in South Africa, there are Christians that live in China, there are Christians that live everywhere all over the globe. And so what is interesting to note is that God doesn't hand out a constitution and say when it comes to a Christian perspective of government that we simply have a, a playbook by God that is given for us to follow. 
God doesn't say that the proper form of government is a threefold, where you've got three equal powers, legislative, judicial, and executive, and they have checks and balances. No, that, that's John Locke. That is not the Scripture. It doesn't mean that God is against democracy. It just means that God hasn't said that is the form of government you are to live under. And it's important to remember that because it allows us, all people, in all places, at all times, can look to the perspective that the Bible gives us about government and can look to get, uh, be informed by it. In other words, if the Bible laid out and said that the appropriate form of government was one of a monarchy, then we, as people living in a democracy, would look at it and go, you know what, if we ever get to a monarchy, wake me up and I'll read that chapter. But the reality is that God doesn't say, I prefer this brand of government over that. God gives us some general principles and commands for all people living in whatever government in which you find yourself. And so this morning, we're going to look at the central New Testament passage that gives us a general understanding of government, its role and purpose, and, and how God would want us to respond to that. And we see that in Romans 13, 1-7. I'm going to read those verses, and then we'll back up and kind of unpack them a little bit for us. It says this, it says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, taxes. If revenue, revenue. If respect, respect. And if honor, then honor. And in those verses, in Romans chapter 13, verse 1 to 7, we get a Christian perspective on government. And, and we're going to break that down into two sections for us to look at this morning. And the, the first section that I think God wants us to see from this passage is this. God wants us to recognize His grace in our government. Recognize God's grace in our government. Now, now you hear that, and you're, you're probably either wondering, what in the world does that mean? Or that sounds like it's a little beyond the line of normal. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, in reality, that idea, I think, is anchored in Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 1 to 7. And when we see it really uh, laid out for us in Romans 13, 1, where, where he begins with this statement. He says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. You know, that passage lets us know that governments, every government, all over the world, governments have no authority except that which God has given. And since this book is written to give a perspective, this, this, this section is written to give us a perspective of how we might live out our Christian lives 
in a, in a political setting, I think we can say that this passage is indicating to us that all governments on the earth exist under the sovereign reign of God. God has established each and every government. Now, now that, that automatically ought to bring up some, some exceptions in your mind, right? Uh, we can all think of atrocities that have been done by governments. Atrocities that are being done in the name of government right now all over the world. Atrocities that have been done uh, in the name of government even in this country. And, and when we begin to think about that topic, we want to throw the objection flag and say, wait a second, that can't be what he's saying. Because we can think of nations that don't fit our criteria of a nation we think might be established by God. But, but what's interesting is that the Bible actually gives us some examples of some pretty rough nations that are clearly identified as nations that God has established. The political leadership, the government over that nation has been established. We'll look at uh, back in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of those Old Testament prophets, hard to pronounce, tucked in the, towards the end of your, of your Old Testament. Uh, but the book of Habakkuk is written, in, and, and Habakkuk is a prophet who is looking at some discipline that God has brought upon his nation, um, and he's trying to figure out what is happening. And God speaks to Habakkuk with the idea that Habakkuk would share that message with all of Israel and eventually with us. And, and God says this in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. God says, Look at the nations and be utterly amazed, for I, the Lord, am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. What is this thing? He says, I am raising up the Babylonians. Uh, your Bible may say Chaldeans. Uh, it's referring to the same group of people. So a, a tribe that would later produce Nebuchadnezzar as its leader. So I'm raising up the Babylonians. This is how God describes those people. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Now, that's how God describes them. Uh, this is a rough crowd, these Babylonians. They were not uh, good people. Um, it, was, it was a difficult... They were not a, a God-fearing society. And yet, that government, that nation-state, is one that God says is operating underneath things that He permits to happen on this earth. And the authority that they have is only authority that He allows them to have because He is sovereign over every nation. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. When you think about that in terms of when the book of Romans was written, uh, Paul was writing that book to a set of believers who were living under the imperial leadership of a man named Nero. And Nero was not a nice guy. Nero was not a Christian. Nero did a lot of, of, of bad and evil things. And yet to those people who were living under an evil leader at the time, to, to, to the people of Israel who watched God raising up this nation of Babylon, who were some rough folks, God says in both cases, hey, they are only exhibiting authority that I allow them to have. Now, now it's clear to see from those passages that God can use some rough nations, that governments can be used by God. But one, one thing that, that is important for us to remember in that is that not everything that those nations did was something that God 
light. By saying that that government received its authority only from God himself uh, does not mean that God liked what they did with that authority. But it does remind us that the authority that they had was established by God himself. That's what Romans 13, uh, 1 to 7 would tell us. Now, if, if God were to establish a government in this place, uh, in Rome, and if God were to establish governments in Israel at that time, and if God were to establish governments in the United States today, uh, then for what purpose does God create government? If, if governments are established for God's purposes, what are those purposes? What does God hope that nations would do with those things? Uh, and we get some indication of that uh, from this passage. Uh, one of the things that the nation, uh, that the governments are to do, is they're to do good for the people. Look at what uh, Romans 13, 4 says. It says, for the leader is God's servant to do you good. What an interesting phrase. Governments are in existence in authority established by God to do good for us. In that way, God has created them as a way to, to, to give out some of his common grace to people. And think about the good that governments do that you and I forget about. Uh, the goods of building interstate systems so that we can drive from one place to another. The good of providing protection and security. Uh, the good of creating a currency so that we can go to the store with a piece of paper and come home with a loaf of bread. Um, the, the good of when natural disasters strike, being able to respond with swiftness and aid. Um, all of those kinds of things, uh, we look at those and we think, well, that's something that the government has done. Yes, but where did the government get the right to do that? It was not something that they dreamed up on their own. It was something that God embedded within the world that God desired for there to be governments who would do good for the people. Therefore, the government that exists over us, one of the reasons why they're there is that God has established them to do good for us. Another reason why God creates uh, governments is, is, is to punish evil. To punish evil. Um, God is, is not stupid. And God realizes that we are sinful people. And sinful people living in close proximity to one another will hurt each other. They'll steal from each other. They'll lie to each other. They'll even kill each other. And so if, if that's the case, if, if sinful people living in societies will do those kinds of things, then there needs to be a mechanism for having laws and enforcing those laws. And God, one of the common graces that he gives to the world is he gives governments to help enforce the law and to help punish wrongdoers. Uh, Romans uh, 13 and, and verse 4 continues and says that after he says for uh, the leader is God's servant to do uh, you good. He says, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. In other words, the government has authority and the ability to meddle that out, to punish evil and wrongdoing in our midst. Uh, in, in, in the book of First Peter, in chapter 2, and in verse 14, uh, the same thing is, 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 is highlighted when Peter says, uh, to the governors who are set up by kings who are under the authority of God, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. In other words, what is the purpose for government? 
Well, part of the purpose is to do good in a general sense for us. But the other part is that government exists to to punish those that do wrong. Those are reasons why God created government. And and I think that it's it's important for us to remember that because sometimes we want to separate government out and say that God has nothing to do with that. When in reality, God has established governments on this earth for His purpose. In that way, we need to recognize God's common grace to us through the governments that are over us. And, And I think about that, you know, what about us today? What is our general attitude towards our government? You know, sadly, I think that a lot of times uh, Christians um, can fall into the trap of a lot of people where we become critics of government. We become critics. That's what we do. Uh, I, I don't know the statistics, but it seems like there's a lot of people in, in, in Christian circles who are, are, are really, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, the listening base for political uh, talk shows. And there's nothing inherently wrong with a political talk show, and I've listened to them too. But you know, if you listen to political talk shows for a long time, uh, what, what happens to you? You become really critical of everything. That's what happens. You become really critical of the government. And so our primary role with the government becomes being a critic. And I think what this passage would call us back to is that our, our, one of our roles in, in, to government is to recognize that it's God's grace to us. You know, when you, when you leave this place, let's say you're going to go to Dallas. You leave this place and you go and you get on I-35 and you begin heading south and you can go 70 miles an hour legally between here and Dallas. You're speeding down the highway. When you do that, you need to just be mindful of the fact. Just thank God for His common grace. God allows us to live in a nation that saw fit to build interstate highways so that our nation could be more connected. So that we could go from here to there. That's part of the good that our nation has done for us. Uh, the next time you, know, you see a crime committed, and, and that crime does not need to be, have to be solved by us rounding up a posse and going and taking care of that ourselves. But that crime can be resolved through a legal system. We need to thank God for that. That's part of His common grace that He has given to us. A legal system to help take care of some of those things. Uh, the next time you, you turn on a faucet and you have clean drinking water, be thankful to that. It's part of God's common grace. We have local government officials that saw fit to, to clean the drinking water so that we have clean water to drink when it comes to us. The next time you think about an issue like national security, before we've come to form 8,000 opinions about that, thank God for His common grace that, that all of us don't have to be standing a post right now to protect our nation. God has given many common graces to us through the government in which we live. We need to recognize that. One of our primary roles shouldn't be that of being a critic. We'll talk about that next week. How do you disagree with the government? But any critique needs to come following and and built out of this attitude that government is not the enemy. Government is part of the common grace of God. God has established it for good in our lives. And we need to recognize that. I think that's part of what Paul wanted us to see in uh, Romans chapter 13. But the second thing that I think he wants us to see is that after we recognize that there is some uh, God's grace in our government, he wants us to respond to God's grace with respect and with action. He wants us to respond to God's grace with respect and with action. Now, when, when you look at, at Romans 13, it, it ends uh, with verse 7. 
says, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. The implication is clear. God desires that we have respect for our government. He desires that we give them respect. Why should we give them respect? We should give them respect because God has established them. Regardless of what party they are, regardless of those things... There is a general respect that God desires us to have for those in governing office because he has established them there. And some of the reasons that this passage gives us for why we should, um, why we should uh, respect our government is, is uh, one of the things is uh, because we can, so we can have a clean conscience. In other words, God desires that we have respect for our government, whether we're in a public setting or a private one, whether we get caught or whether we don't get caught. And the reason why he wants us to do that is so that we could have a clean conscience. So therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, verse 5, but also because of our conscience. God wants us to submit based on this issue of conscience. And one of the ways in which we uh, submit to, or one of the ways, I'm sorry, one of the ways in which we show respect to our government is by submitting to them. It's by submitting to them. By obeying the laws that they have set up. And we do that so that we might have a clean conscience, like we saw in verse 4. But we also do that so that we might, um, so we might avoid negative consequences. Uh, and we see that uh, on down in verse 3, where he says, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from the fear of the one of an authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. In, in other words, part of the way we show respect to our government is that we submit to the laws that they have established. That we obey them. That we be law-abiding citizens. We keep the law. Now, I, I think that um, you know that's something that's like, okay, great. That's very basic. But you know what? That means lots of laws. And remember, this is a matter of conscience, whether you get caught or not. So this is the category that you could put things like speeding in, right? One of the ways that we can respond to God's common grace in our, in our world around us is by showing respect to the government, by obeying the law, including by not speeding. One of the ways that we can do that is by, by not stealing. And we think, well, I'm not a thief. Well, I think there's this rampant epidemic, and some of you have heard me talk about this before, but when it comes to um, electronic media, we feel like we can, we can download and, and steal songs and take them from our friends. We wouldn't call it that. We would call it being economically wise with our music policy. But in reality, that's what happens. Um, there's a law against that. And we need to remember that. One of the ways, and who cares if you can get caught or not? One of the ways in which we can honor God is by respecting our government and by submitting to the laws. And there are any number of things. Think about the laws that pertain to, uh, if you're an employer, related to how you treat your employees, uh, different things. God does, we can honor Him by respecting our government, by obeying the law. Uh, another way that we can do this is by giving honor. You know, in, in chapter 13 and verse 7, it talks about, you know, giving everyone what you owe him. If taxes, taxes, revenue, revenue. If respect, respect. If honor, then honor. You know, 
God desires that we give honor to those in our government. And, and here's the deal. We live in a culture that is not very honoring. We live in a culture that is very stingy when it comes to giving honor, especially to those uh, in, in power or leadership. It just doesn't do it anymore. And it progressively gets worse. You know, this is regardless of party or whatever, but if you just look around at the way in which people talk, think, act, whatever, regarding our president right now, uh, it's not in a very honoring way. I mean, can you imagine a sitcom about a president sitting in office, basically designed to make him look like an idiot? And yet that's the kind of world in which we live. I I went out uh, over Christmas to buy a new calendar for my wall in my office. And and one whole section of the calendar, this is like the 75% off calendar sale, one whole section of the calendars um, was uh, just basically calendars that were designed about, you know, countdown to when Bush is out of office and stupid things he said and and all this kind of stuff. There's a whole industry out there designed to not give honor to him. Now, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican or whatever, and I would say this if this was eight years ago and the same things were being done regarding President Clinton. God desires us to be different than our culture. Our culture is stingy in honor to governing officials. God says that as believers in Christ, if we recognize that our governments are established by God, vessels that through which he pours his common grace to us, then we ought to give honor to those. And I don't know where the line is. I mean, this is not where you can't have a laugh. Uh, I mean, even the president can laugh at himself, right? Uh, this is not where you can't have an impersonator or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But there's some line that is crossed where it goes from fun to name-calling and worse. And you know where that is for you. God desires that we be honoring to those who are in office. Uh, but a second thing is that he wants us to respond to his grace in government through respect, but he also wants us to respond through action. And there are various ways in which we can respond in action. And, and one of those is found outside of this passage. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. But there's a great reminder for us to pray for those in government over us. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. In other words, God's desire is that one of the actions that we have when we recognize that He has established government is that we pray for those in authority over us. Now, this is not a, a new verse. I mean, actually, it's like 2,000 years old, right? But um, this idea, uh, I've heard before lots of times. Hearing it and knowing it is not the issue for me. Uh, The reality is that I so often don't do it. Um, So frequently, so infrequently, do I stop and pray for those in elected office. You know, this this election season I've mentioned, I've, I've watched more, I've read more, I've been interested more in the area of politics. But the one thing that I haven't really done much is pray more for it. Now, I would say that I've prayed more because if I prayed once, I've prayed more than maybe in a previous months, right? Uh, I say that not to my glory, but to my shame. But God's desire is that one of the responses that we have is that we pray for those who are in elected office. We pray for those who are in government over us. And I think one of the things that helps us remember to pray for them is when we remember that God has established them to dispense grace to us. Common grace. Good for us. 
that will remind us to pray for them. When we, we experience a reminder, thank God for government that we have highways, that we have currency, that we have whatever. That ought to be reminders for us to, to pray for those who are in office. And to pray that they would continue to live into that responsibility of doing good and punishing evil so that we might live the life that God has called us to. I think that's what Second Timothy, or First Timothy uh, 2, 1 and 2 is indicating. One of the things that we're called to do in action is to pray. The second thing that we're uh, called to do in way of action is to pay, uh, to pay taxes. And uh, when you flip back over to the book of Romans, chapter 13 and verse 6, it's very clear. He says, this is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him, taxes, taxes, revenue, revenue. There's this idea that it is a very... Um, real part of our spiritual lives to honor God by recognizing his common grace through taking the action of paying taxes. Now, I'm here to tell you, I do not normally associate taxes with worship. I do not normally associate taxes with spirituality. I just don't. Uh, that that's that's just the opposite, you know. Right? You go and you buy something, whether you go to buy something and it's ninety nine ninety nine, and you go to the register and it's one hundred seven eighty three, and you go, what happened? Taxes happened. Uh, when 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 you go to prepare your your income tax return, which because pastors are are uh, considered dual income statuses, I could bore you with a lot of stuff. But because of that, we have to file quarterly tax returns, and so um, we actually had to file our taxes uh, this month. And uh, even this last week, we were finishing those up. And, and you know, i got to tell you, the, the majority of that process, I wasn't thinking, had anything to do with my spiritual life. But you know what? When I read these passages, it reminds me. It reminds me that God desires that we honor Him by paying taxes. Now, there's all kinds of policy discussions about how taxes should be paid and, and all that stuff. But you know what? As believers, if the tax is there then we have a responsibility to pay it. And, you know, Jesus talked and said similar things in the book of Matthew in chapter 22, verse 17, and then in verse 21, when some people came to him and tried to trick him. They tried to get Jesus to say that he didn't have to pay taxes, no one had to pay taxes, so that Rome would be upset with him. And so some people came, and in verse 17, they said, Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus' famous answer came in verse 21. He says, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. In another uh, instance in the Gospels, Jesus actually paid tax himself. Why is that? Because government exists under something established by God. And the things that the government does cost money. And we can honor God by paying the taxes that are out, laid out for us. Now, you know, I, I say that, that doesn't mean that you have to go look for extra taxes to pay. But it means that as a Christian, you don't have the ability to avoid them. You don't have the right to not file your income tax. You don't have the right to not pay tax when you should. Because this is part of how we express a response of action to God's common grace to us. Uh, the third action that we can take is, is that, and this, this I'm going to, I can't show you this in a verse because, again, the New Testament is not written in a democratic perspective. 
But one of the actions I think that in response to this that we could take is that God would desire us to vote. If we live in a nation where our government leaders have allowed us an opportunity to participate in the process, then I think one of the ways we can honor God is by informing ourselves of the issues and going to the poll when the opportunities present itself and voting accordingly. And uh, um, certainly that's not something that I'm going to tell you, this is how you should vote. But I think that God would want you to seek that out and to go to the poll and to actually participate. It's one of the ways in which we can uh, honor and recognize the decisions that our government has made as a desire to include us in the process. Well, we've seen some things that the Bible says in terms of a Christian understanding of government. Uh, The first thing that we saw is that the government is a form of God's grace. We need to recognize that. And then once we've recognized that and we remember that, we ought to respond to that with respect and with action. Now, I want to end with just an admonition from the Apostle Peter. Uh, we looked briefly at this passage earlier in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, but what's interesting is 1 Peter, Peter is writing to a set of Christians who are scattered around the Roman Empire. And he's writing to a set of Christians who had just been wrongly accused of a crime they didn't commit. You see, Nero, that rough leader that we talked about who was leading Rome at the time, uh, had watched his city burn. And he had believed this trumped-up charge that Christians were the ones responsible. And so to a group of people that were scattered around who were wrongly accused of a crime, living under the leadership of a terrible leader, this is what Peter says. Peter says in verse 15, he says, It's God's will that by doing good you should silence the talk of foolish men. In other words, obey the law, be good citizens, so that you don't give them any ammunition for the false claims that they're making. He says, Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the king. You know, in in that passage, I think Peter is calling the believers to a higher ideal. And I think that we need to hear that call. Because as we live today, if you turn on the television, uh, you would think that uh, evangelical Christians was another political party. It's another monolithic voting block that's out there. And I don't believe that. I think that there are believers that are scattered around the political spectrum. Uh, but when you hear it talked about, it's talked about in terms of this, this, this one little group. And, and, and when we think about the issue of government, we should not, as believers, retreat to being a political party. We shouldn't retreat to being a group of critics on the side. We should remember the, 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 the commands of, of God and the admonition of Peter, who is encouraging us to live a good life, to honor in respect to the governments that are over us. That that should be our stamp within our culture. Now we're going to talk next week about how, you, how we voice uh, opinion about things and how we might disagree if the government is going in a different direction as us. But we need to at first remember that our responsibility as believers 
is not first as a Republican, not first as a Democrat, not first as an Independent, but it's as a citizen that recognizes that God has established the government over us. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the time that you have given us now to look into your word and to fellowship together. Father, I pray that we would be a people who would be peculiar in the land in which we live. Father, that we would be a people who, instead of contributing to uh, the mentality of, of dishonor when it comes to our political officials, Father, that we would be people that would pray for them. We would be citizens who obey the law, that pay our taxes, and that show respect and honor to those that you have established over us. Father, I I pray that um, for all of us here as we leave this place. And Father, we pray all of that leaning upon your Spirit who will guide us into truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.